Chapter Thirteen of the Zeitgeist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Zeitgeist by Lily Dugall. Chapter Thirteen. The canoe did not answer to Anne's one slim Indian paddle so lightly as the boat she had taken before had answered to the oars. Kneeling upright in the stern, she was obliged to keep her body in perfect balance. The moon did not rise now until late, but the smoke that had for two days hung so still and dim had been lifted on a light breeze that came with the darkness. The stars were clear above, and Anne's eyes were well accustomed to the wood and stream. Ah, how long it seemed before she came round the bend of the river and down to the blasted tree. She felt a repulsion for the whole death-like place tonight that she had not felt before. She had been sure the other night of meeting someone at the end of her secret journey, and now the best she could hope was that the place would be empty and even if it were empty perhaps for all she knew one of the men for whom she was seeking might be lying dead in the water beneath certainly the inexplicable appearance of her father the night before had shaken her nerves anne was doing a braver thing than she had ever done in her life because she was a prey to terror lonely as the desolate he was to turn from it into the windings of the secret opening seemed like leaving the world behind and going alone into a region of death there was no sound but the splash of paddle the ripple of the still water under the canoe the occasional voice of a frog from the swampy edges of the lake and the shrill murmur of crickets from the dry fields beyond when Anne came near, she saw the bound figure reclining in the arms of the fallen tree. Then she believed that her worst fear had been true, that Bart had been unfaithful, and that her father had died in this wretched place. He must be dead, because she had seen his spirit. She came nearer. He had not died of starvation. The bag of food which she had hung upon the branch hung there yet she set the canoe close against the tree and holding by the tree raised herself in it she had to be very careful lest the canoe should tip under her even while she held by the tree then she put forth a brave hand and laid it upon the breast of the unconscious man he was not dead the heart was beating though not strongly the body was warm father father she shook him gently the answer was a groan very feeble it told her at once that the man before her was stricken with some physical ill that made him incapable of responding to her and now what was she to do it was necessary by some means to get her father into the canoe to that she did not give a second thought but while he still lived it seemed to her monstrous to take him either back to fentown falls or down to the mills her horror of prison and of judgment for him had grown to be wholly morbid and unreasonable 
just because his terror of it had been so extreme. Only one course remained. She had the chart that David Brown had given her. He had told her that at the northern edge of the swamp, which could be reached by the way he had marked out, a small farmhouse stood. Possibly the people in this house might not yet have heard of Markham, the murderer, or possibly, if they had heard, they might be won for pity's sake to let him regain strength there and go in peace. It was her only chance. The moon was rising now, and she would find the way. She felt strength to do anything when she had realized that the heart beneath her hand was still beating. Anne moved the canoe under the fallen log, and moving down it upon her knees, she took the rope from the prow, secured it round the log from which the sick man must descend, and fastened it again to the other end of the boat. This at least was a guarantee that they could not all sink together. Even yet the danger of upsetting the canoe sideways was very great. It was only necessity that enabled her to accomplish her task. Father, rouse yourself a little. She took Markham's old felt hat, upon which the insensible head was lying, and set it warmly over his brow. She unfastened the bands that tied his body to the log. She had not come without a small file of the rum that was always necessary for her father, in the hope that she might find him alive. She soaked some morsels of bread in this, and put it in the mouth of the man over whom she was working. It was very dark. The only marvel was, not that she did not recognize Toyner, but that she and he were not both engulfed in the black flood beneath them in the struggle which she made to take him in the canoe. Twice that day Toyner had stirred and become conscious, but consciousness, except that of confused dreams, had again deserted him. The lack of food, if it had preserved him from fever, had caused the utmost weakness of all his bodily powers. Yet when the small amount of bread and rum which he could swallow gave him a little strength, he was roused, not to the extent of knowing who he was or where, but enough to move his muscles, although feebly, under direction. After a long time, she had him safely in the bottom of the canoe, his head lying upon her jacket, which she had folded for a pillow. At first, as she began to paddle the canoe forward, he groaned again and again. But by degrees, the reaction of weakness after exertion made him lapse into his former state that seemed like sleep. Anne had lost now all her fears of unknown and unseen dangers. All that she feared was the loss of her way or the upsetting of her boat. The strength that she had put into the strokes of her paddle was marvelous. She had just a mile to go before she came to another place where a stretch of still water opened through the trees. There were several of these blind channels opening off the bed of the Awihi. They were the terror of those who were traveling in boats, for they were easily mistaken for the river itself, and they led to nothing but impenetrable marsh. From this particular inlet, David Brown had discovered a passage to the land, and Anne pursued the new untried way boldly. Somewhere farther on, David had told her a little creek flowed in, where the eye could not discern any wider opening than was constantly the case between the drowned trees. Its effect upon the current of the water was said to be so slight 
that the only way to discover where it ran was by throwing some light particles upon the water and watching to see whether they drifted outwards from the wood steadily she turned the bow gently against a broken stump from which she could take a decaying fragment an hour passed she wearily crossed the water to and fro casting out her chips of punk straining her eyes to see their motion in the moonlight the breeze that had moved the smoke had gone again above the moon rode through white fleecy clouds the water and air lay still and warm interpenetrated with the white light the trees without leaf or twigs cast no shadow with the moon in the zenith the patient experimenting with the chips was a terrible ordeal to anne the man whom she supposed to be her father lay almost the whole length of the canoe so close to her and yet she could not pass his outstretched feet to give him food or stimulant at last at last to her great joy she found the place where the chips floated outward with steady motion she then pushed her canoe in among the trees thankful to know that it at least had been there before that there would be no pass too narrow for it the canoe itself was almost like a living creature to her by this time like an intelligent companion in the search it responded with gentle motion to her slightest touch it seemed to anne that the light of the moon was now growing very strong and clear surely no moon had ever before become so bright anne looked about her almost for a moment dreading some supernatural thing and then she realized that the night was gone that pale dawn was actually smiling upon her it gave her a strange sense of light-heartedness her heart warmed with love to the sight of the purple tint in the eastern sky that bluish purple which precedes the yellow sunrise on either side of her boat now the water was so shallow the sedge and rushes rose above it the herons flapped across her path to their morning fishing the creek still made a narrow channel for the canoe pretty soon its current flowed between wild undulating tracts of bright green moss in which the trees still stood dead but bark and lichen now adhered to their trunks and a few more strokes brought her to the fringes of young spruce and balsam that grew upon the drier knolls she smelt living trees dry woods and pastures in front then a turn of the narrow creek and she saw a log house standing not twenty paces from the stream above and around it maples and elms held out green branches and there was some sort of a clearing farther on anne felt exultant in her triumph she had brought her boat to a place of safety she seemed to gather life and strength from the sun although it still lay below the blue horizon of lake and forest which she had left behind her the sky above was a gulf of sunshine she stepped out of the boat and pushed away the hat to look in her father's face she saw now who it was that she had rescued toyner stirred a little when she touched him and opened his eyes the same grave gray eyes with which she had looked at her when he bade her good-bye there was no fever in them and as it seemed to her no lack of sense and thought yet he only looked at her gravely and then seemed to sleep again the girl sprang upright upon the bank and wrung her hands together it came to her with sudden clearness what had been done 
had toyner told his tale she could hardly have known it more clearly her father had tried to murder bart her father had tied him in his own place it was her father who had escaped alone with the boat it was he himself in no apparition who had peered in upon her through the window she was wrought up into a strong glow of indignation against the baseness that would turn upon a deliverer against the cruelty of the revenge taken no wonder that miserable father had not dared to enter her house again or to seek further succor from her all her pity all the strength of her generosity went out to the man who had ventured so much on his behalf and had been betrayed that unspoken reverence for toyner a sense of the contrast between him and her father and the other men whom she knew which had been growing upon her now culminated in an impulse of devotion a new faculty opened within her nature a new mine of wealth the thin white-faced man that lay half dead in the bottom of the canoe perhaps experienced some reviving influence from this new energy of love that had transformed the woman who stood near him for he opened his eyes again and saw her this time quite distinctly standing looking down upon him there was tenderness in her eyes and her sun-browned face was all aglow with a flush that was brighter than the flush of physical exercise about her bending figure grew what seemed to bart's half-dazzled sense the flowers of paradise for wild sunflowers and sheaves of purple epitorium brushed her arms standing in high phalanx by the edge of the creek bart smiled as he looked but he had no thoughts and all that he felt was summed up in a word that he uttered gently anne she knelt down at once what is it bart and again what were you trying to say it is probable that her words did not reach him at all he was only halfway back from the region of his vision but he opened his eyes and looked at her again the sun rose and a level golden beam struck through between the trunks of the trees touching the flowers and branches here and there with moving lights and giving all the air a brighter mellower tint there was something that bart did feel a desire to say a great thought that at another time he might have tried in a multitude of words to have expressed and failed he saw anne whom he loved and the paradise about her he wanted to bring the new knowledge that had come to him in the light of his vision to bear upon her who had belonged now to the region of outward not of inward sight and yet was part of what must always be to him everlasting reality what were you going to say bart she asked again tenderly and again he summed up all that he thought and felt in one word god yes bart she said with some sudden intuitive sense of agreement then seeming to be satisfied he closed his eyes and went back into the state of drowsiness End of chapter 13 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida